1: To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org.
2: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality durability and sensibility dads appreciate Available online saturday may 4th at jcp.com and in-store thursday may 16th just in time for father's day Limited time only JCPenney, make it count
3: Hello and welcome to cool people did cool stuff It's the show Wow. You know what kind of show. Probably. We have a guest, usually, including right now, who's Kat Abu.
2: Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing
3: okay. Kat watches Fox News for a living, so occasionally um, needs to do something else, is my theory.
2: Yes. I love doing things that aren't that um, stuff in my personal time and things that aren't my job. It's
3: great. Yeah. Um you can go watch Kat talk about Fox News and then you don't have to watch Fox News, which is a nice advantage to all of that.
2: I recommend to everyone to not watch it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There was like, when I was a kid, there was all these like Simpsons jokes where they make fun of Fox and I never got it because I didn't watch anything else on Fox besides Simpsons.
4: Right, And then like
3: now, retroactively, all of the jokes making fun of their network make a lot more sense.
2: They're evergreen too.
3: That's true. I'm afraid to rewatch Old Simpsons, actually. I, I haven't, and I
4: don't know what will happen if I do. I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons. Brave, honestly. That's honestly, of the programs on Fox, that that is the route that you went on. Brave. Never yeah. seen an episode.
3: Well, the other voice you're hearing is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Sophie's Hi. our producer.
4: In a way, I feel like you have seen an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, everyone's seen an episode of the Simpsons.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think I like someone will mention something. I'm like, oh, I've seen like ten screenshots from the yeah. exact clip
4: you're pointing out.
3: Yeah. Ian is our audio engineer.
4: Mm-hmm. Are you not doing any of the jokes that you put in the script? Because I really like them.
3: They're gonna come later. Oh. I have to do all the introductions first. All
4: right. All right. I'm excited. Yeah.
3: Everyone has to say hi to Ian before we can move forward. Hi Ian. From this point. Hi, hi Ian. Ian. Okay. As long as all the listeners have also said hi, Ian, we can now continue. Unwoman did our music. And so, speaking of music, Kat, have you ever heard of Ariana Grande? (laughs) No, who's that? (laughs) I don't actually really know. Um, (laughs) That was the joke I wrote into the script. I kind of haven't. A pop star. It's a great joke. Thanks. Instead, I want to talk about a Mexican revolutionary who's been dead for 101 years.
4: Oh, hell yes. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that like so Thanks. much. Thank you for doing that Thanks. transition.
3: Yeah, I, I wrote that joke in as we were talking about things beforehand because Ariana Grande came up. Have you ever heard of a man named Ricardo Flores Magon? I have not. Excellent. I'm excited to tell you about this man. Today, we are talking about a man who was convinced that the people of Mexico could indeed overthrow their dictator. Uh, so he spent every hour of his life chain-smoking over a typewriter until he convinced everyone else that they could overthrow the dictator. And then they did. So it worked. That mostly. guy sounds amazing. Yeah, he's, he's really fucking interesting. It didn't go the way he wanted it to. Uh, and I doubt that he would be very happy that a lot of his words ended up, word for word, or rapidly paraphrased, in the Mexican Constitution uh, because he had an incredible amount of influence on the Mexican Republic after the revolution, which is interesting because he was part of a thousand strong anarchist movement called the Maganistas, And he hated that they were called that. And this story will start where every story in the Western hemisphere starts, which is Europeans showing up and fucking over everyone.
4: <laughs> okay.
3: In this case, it was Fernando Cortez in 1511 who showed up in what's now Mexico, and he was like, this is Spain, motherfuckers, get in line, and or die. So he did that. That was bad. That lasted a few hundred years. It was called New Spain. And then eventually people were like, all right, fuck this. And they wanted to have some independence. I really like doing all the crazy background context. Magan isn't even alive during anything that I'm going to be talking about for the next little bit. So... Like a lot of revolutions, the Mexican War for Independence started off with people doing a bunch of rad stuff. And then, like a lot of revolutions, it was co-opted by boring and or bad people. So, in the early 1800s, there's Enlightenment ideas going around Mexico. And these are referred to there as liberal ideas. Uh, And they're, they're coming over, creeping over to the colonies. So, there's a liberal book club, and in it is a Catholic priest. His name is Miguel Hidalgo. Like all the best book clubs, this one went from reading books to plotting the overthrow of colonial government. And Miguel Hidalgo wanted good things, um, but in like the least radical way that one could want good things. Right? He called for a, quote, gentle and gradual means to abolish the, quote, horrible right of territorial property, perpetual, hereditary, and exclusive. Basically, he was like, we need to get rid of the fucking hereditary land ownership where some people own everything and everyone else is fucked, right? Um, Which is increasingly what we're coming back to. It's really fun. There's still time, I think, to get rid of the hereditary upper class, but it's been 200 years since Hidalgo. Unfortunately, a bunch of his friends get arrested for plotting revolution. So he shows up to the church, he rings the bell, he calls everyone out to him to give a speech. And this speech... Have you heard much about the the Mexican, you got the Mexican War for Independence and a hundred years later, the Mexican Revolution. I hadn't known too much about it with how I grew up, but.
2: Everything that I knew is I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and you take like a Texas history class. And so I know a lot about like Santa Ana and mm-hmm. um, general, you know, Texan being mad at Mexico history, but that's all okay. I know.
3: Okay, Magan spent a lot of his life in Texas. Um, and mostly san antonio san antonio is nice it is nice i had a good time there i once tried to sleep in my van outside a convention but there was too many cops so i went and slept in a closet in the con suite that's my story about san antonio that's the main story i have about san antonio sounds lovely yeah it was nice it was a nice closet so there's going to be this Mexican War for Independence. And so he goes and he, this this Catholic priest, and he goes and he gives what's uh, remembered as El Grito de Dolores, the, the cry of Dolores. And no one actually knows what he says, right? But it's repeated like every year. And so they have a version of what he said that someone later wrote down. And it goes something like, will you free yourselves? Will you recover the land stolen 300 years ago from your forefathers by the hated Spaniards? And he's religious. So he says, long live our lady of Guadalupe, death to bad government, death to the Gachupenas. Gachupinas being a slur for the nobility, the the peninsulares, the, the people who were born in Spain. Because New Spain had this super elaborate racial and ethnic hierarchy that put born in Sp- Spain folks, the, the peninsula, peninsulares at the top then their white descendants, then the mixed folks way below them, then way down at the bottom, indigenous folks and black folks. Um, and everything in like the legal system in New Spain was built out of this racial hierarchy. So this priest is like, hey, we don't like that. He's kind of saying we just don't like the top layer of it. He's not saying like we should totally abolish it, which makes sense because he's the next level down himself.
2: This thing, how it goes. what's that? Soft and how it goes.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this guy was his whole thing isn't as like pure and great as it could be. Uh, it wasn't just like let's be free, fuck colonization. It tied into some stuff that goes way over my head about the king had just been overthrown by Napoleon, and it was also about defending the Catholic faith and all this stuff. But overall, I give it like a B minus because it's better than anything I've ever done. I want to like be the cast the first stone but i've never um overthrown a government uh i don't know about you you shouldn't tell me if you have but just uh, there's wing. still
2: time there's still time baby steps that's
3: true that's true i forgot to write down how old this guy was when he overthrew a yeah, i was government. about to
2: ask because if he was like 60 he got plenty of time
3: yeah yeah thanks um at least five years he gives this speech and the revolution is on And they all go march around and take over towns. Importantly, indigenous folks show up in large numbers and are like, yeah, all right, we'll give this a shot. It seems like the best thing going. And so they're all marching around under this priest general and they're storming places with like fucking literal sticks and stones and winning. There's like all of these description of battles where they'll win by like ambushing people very carefully or just sometimes just like charging in and having a fuck ton of people, you know? His followers liberated property held by the white Spaniards this is a recurring theme throughout this week's episode is that a small class of people owns like all the goddamn land. And he promises anyone, he promises that anyone who doesn't immediately free their slaves is going to get fucking killed, which is cool. He also says that Jews don't have to convert to Christianity, which is cool. He also probably, and this might've been slander used against him by the inquisition later, but I want it to be true. He also probably was telling everyone that there's no such thing as hell, which is like really fucking based for uh, Mr. Catholic Priest. He's also producing illegitimate children, which of course Catholic priests aren't supposed to do. But he's having a good time. He's fucking, he's having a revolution. He's um, freeing people at gunpoint, or freeing, the gunpoint is not at the people, it's at the owners of the, the ostensible owners of the people. And he gets excommunicated. This is not particularly surprising, right? N- n- no. But I don't know if you knew this. No, go ahead.
4: <laughs> no, I was just going to say no, based on that <laughs> list. i going to say those are a few rules that are uh, not, not, not meant to be broken. I feel like the illegitimate children one flies okay with the
3: Catholic Church, but
2: yeah. past that, you know, that's a lot of stuff.
3: Yeah, that, I think that wasn't on the list of why he got excommunicated. <laughs> I at think it was the, um, pays off again. Yeah, but he gets excommunicated um, you know, for all the heresy or whatever. But did you know that in God and with 100,000 armed peasants, all things are possible? He he finds a bishop and he forces the bishop basically at gunpoint to rescind his excommunication. And now he's back in yes. the church's good graces.
2: Oh, my God. I love this dude. It's awesome. Yeah,
3: at least for a while. So they march in, and they get to Mexico City, and then they turn away. And now, depending on what book you read, no one agrees as to why he turned away from Mexico City. Um, People like to argue about it. Maybe the priest was like, everyone keeps rioting and looting and killing prisoners, and we shouldn't do that to a whole last city. But that one, that take seems to come a little bit more from the kind of like good white priest, scary indigenous people making up the army kind of thing. The other take that I'm going to lean a little bit more towards was he was like, oh, we have sticks and they have guns. He turns away. Some people think that his turning his back is why the war took so long. It's also completely possible. It's the only reason it was ever possible to win it, you know, because everyone wasn't just slaughtered right there. His army goes and holds up in uh, Guadalajara and, like, they, you know, show up and are attacking him and shit. And he gets often a pardon He gets offered a pardon in exchange for surrender. And he's like, fuck off. I'm not going to do that. Like, I've come this far. He is not backing down. People refusing pardons and pensions and all kinds of awards from the government will come up a lot this week. Uh, So he gets captured. It doesn't go well for him. Within a couple months, he is defrocked, excommunicated by the Inquisition this time. uh, Which is, again, a step up if you have to get the whole ass Inquisition to, to kick you out. Uh, they decide to extra deep priest him. So they flay his hands. And this has something to do with like some symbolic mark left on your hands when you become a priest, at least at this time and place. And then he's executed. Uh, July 27th, 1811, which is so not a really good day for him. Except, I don't know, he's like <laughs> Catholic and he gets Re- martyred, right?
4: Really, back by not a good day for him. <laughs>
3: I think it sounds like fun. <laughs> sounds like the best day ever. I know. Well, I mean, like, this might have been the best day of his life. He, he's a Catholic and he gets martyred. The Catholic Church rarely considers people they kill to be martyrs. Um, but Joan of Arc Oh, Art and he's an considered a martyr, martyr now? I don't know if he's considered a martyr by the Catholic Church. He's absolutely a, a martyr in, like, Mexican history, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, and his last words are... Though I may die, I shall be remembered forever. You all will soon be forgotten. Which is just fucking true. Uh, This man still exists when we talk about him. I didn't write down the name of the guy who killed him.
2: Hell yeah. We're talking about him in 2023.
3: Yeah. His head was put on a pike and left on display. And I want to compare really quick. He gets called Mexico's father of the nation, right? Um, and he was a priest who carried a lance and freed the slaves at gunpoint. The U.S.'s father of the nation, George Washington, who literally wore teeth he had ripped out of the mouths of living slaves.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's not great.
3: No, no.
4: And, and I'm not like, trying to be like mm-hmm. and, and and spun a lie that most people believe that he had wooden teeth.
3: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I think so much about George Washington's teeth. Me too. It's, it's, I hear it's,
2: conservatives talk about it a lot, and they'll they'll be like, "Well, he paid them," and I'm like, That's, <laughs> "They're still well, a they're owned. B, yeah. like what the hell are you supposed to do? C, don't take teeth from people. Like how how difficult is this to understand? Right. You this just, is not a difficult concept. Keep teeth in the mouths of the people
3: bones belong on the inside is the general rule. Bones
2: belong on the inside. I'm yeah. always saying that. I know.
3: Huh. That's why I brought you on actually is because you sell those shirts.
2: Yeah. Bones belong to people. Yeah. Or on the inside. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Um, well you also saw the one that says bones belong to me but you know. That's of course. a different thing.
2: You're the exception. That's fine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, as long as mine get to stay inside. You can do whatever you want <laughs> to other people. That's, that's the way the world works. Mm -hmm. So, their their guy dies, right? The war goes guerrilla for a while, and it wasn't until 10 years later in 1821 that Mexico gets its independence from Spain. And it gets it in a way less cool way. It gets it way more in like an America way instead of a like, you know, people actually kicking out the colonizer way, more in a cementing the colonizer kind of way. The guy who takes charge, his name is Augustin de Iturbide, and... He had actually started the war fighting against Hidalgo and just against the revolution, right? He just, like, worked for the fucking crown or whatever. His nickname was the Iron Dragon, and I have a suspicion that no one good has ever been in charge of an army and called the Iron Dragon.
2: I I understand that, but also that is, like, an object. Like, if someone called me that, I would be like, damn... Yeah. I know. I was. Just,
4: That's a cool name. I know. I know. Like, I know I'm evil. But I was like, could I get other people from Cool Zone Media to call me that, Sophie? I'll call you the Iron Dragon. Oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, you're so welcome. <laughs> Anytime, Iron Dragon. ID,
3: <laughs> Margaret. You started something very no, bad no, here. <laughs> I was. See, I think you can't be called the Iron Dragon until you have three hundred insurgent prisoners executed to celebrate Good Friday.
4: Are you telling? Are you saying that Sophie hasn't done that? Yeah. Girls can do anything. Well, security culture. I mean, I don't think I'm going to do that this week. But <laughs> girl like boss energy nickname. takes over. <laughs> I like the
3: nickname. All right, all right. If I call you Iron Dragon, then you don't have to prove it by killing 300 people. How about that? But you
2: can. She gives you permission. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm so glad yeah. to know this.
3: Those are people the bones can be on the outside of. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is so bad that at one point he's kicked out by his own side for being cruel and corrupt. And this is like the baddie team kicks him out for being too much. And this of a is baddie. the guy that like he eventually
2: gave Mexico independence.
3: Yeah, um, he's fighting against independence tooth and nail. But then he basically, right near the end, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to lose. What if instead I'm on the winning team?" And I could be in charge to make sure that no one does anything wacky like make a republic. When I said that it was kind of like the U.S. independence, it's actually worse, because the U.S. at least made a republic. He sets up a monarchy with all of the additional property relations intact. Much like Sophie's plan for cool Zone. This new Mexican monarchy, the only thing it did was elevate the criollos, which are the, the white people born in Mexico, uh, to the same level as the white people born in Spain. Everyone else, just as fucked as always their new leader calls himself an emperor fuck him the priest guy was cool uh, this particular pattern of cool folks with cool ideas sparking revolutions that later get watered down real bad that's gonna repeat and it'll repeat in this week's episode and all throughout history constantly uh i'm not cynical this is an anti-cynicism podcast
2: it it does repeat, but on the bright side, sometimes it doesn't.
3: That's true. <laughs> it's true. I can't wait to go to the ha- the Haitian Revolution. God,
2: yes, absolutely. Like,
3: yeah, and actually, the Mexican Revolution that's going to come hundred years later, it's like a watered down thing, but it's not a like meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. So,
2: uh, I do. I'm infuriated by people that play both sides like that, though. I it's know. It's so
3: annoying. It's so annoying. Like, at least have some, if you're going to be like a baddie, be like an honorable baddie, you know?
2: Exactly. Have some dignity. Be like, yeah. I'm going down because I am just the worst. Yeah. And uh, I really love being the worst. And instead, you're switching sides at the last second. It's pathetic. It's pathetic.
3: It's like the everyone hates a snitch, even the cops kind of thing. Like, yes. Cops are like, you spineless bastard. I mean, give me the information, but God, you suck.
2: I keep it's getting, another thing with like conservatives with Jan Six or whatever. Yeah. yeah, how do they? These must be an informant. And I'm like, no, you guys just flip so easy because none of you believe in anything.
4: Exactly, magpie, magpie. I keep getting confused when you say baddie because you actually mean bad person, but to me, baddie means like a babe and a half. Babe and a half is a baddie, mm-hmm.
2: huh? Baddies are thick. Mm-hmm. You wanna, you wanna be with some baddies. Mm-hmm.
3: So I should stop making the people who are committing atrocities seem cool?
2: Yeah, baddie is a compliment. Unless they're hot. If they're hot, I mean, you can't call it like that's technically accurate. Yeah. They're a baddie.
3: Okay. Okay. I'm going to look up more photos ahead of time. I usually mostly Uh, look up Okay. good guy's side.
4: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Research. (laughs) Research. Yeah.
3: (laughs) If you need me.
2: Uh... <laughs> You're like thick baddies.
4: What does this mean, Google Images?
3: Dear Google, dear Google, <laughs> that one picture of Stalin. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the one, this, we all know it. that's, no, yeah, that's yeah. not even real. <laughs>
3: yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Mister Early Photoshop made made himself look better. I don't. I'm he made so himself
4: look like Zane from One Direction, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but if you want to look better, oh. you can buy things that will increase your oh. social status and therefore people's interest in you. I always hated the like display of wealth as like the way to show that you're like like there's this thing where like men think that if they like look rich, that a lot of like people will try to sleep with them. I, anyway I just don't think that that's true at all
2: when I was a bartender I had a customer that would come in with a Gucci belt and then always point out his Gucci belt and got really mad when I wouldn't give him his, my number and he yeah. did that like five times and I don't know why he kept thinking it word. is
4: always a Gucci belt and singular. <laughs> always a Gucci belt singular yes. <laughs> yeah one
3: <laughs> and when I was a when I was a street kid sleeping on top of a 7-eleven I did fairly well you know money not the way of anyway
4: i like that margaret was like speaking of a gucci belt
3: (laughs) yeah i mean the literal opposite of that (laughs) i'm saying the dirty like filthy punks do a lot better than mr gucci belt
2: i'm just saying no billionaire would be able to get laid on 41k a year
3: Mm. yeah that's true (laughs) it's just true but these products and services will increase your sexual attractivity. Um, Sophie, do you remember what percent we were currently at? I know that when I exaggerate it, you get mad at me. It's like 34%.
4: I thought it was 32, but, uh, no, 32%, but maybe we were trending upwards.
3: Yeah. Um, All right. So 32% more attractive if you buy whatever shit someone tries to sell you. Here's some ads.
0: Live Nation presents Concert Week. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
1: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
1: Know like this. I ain't no spy Girl.
0: Like never before. That's
1: my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen.
1: I want to be remembered. Just being me.
0: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under seventeen, not a without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
1: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to five hundred anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people you can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.
3: And we're back. So... This guy shows up. It doesn't, he doesn't last. He calls himself the emperor. He gets run out. I didn't really write all the details down about this part. There's 35 years of chaos, basically, with various emperors and tyrants, and occasionally some, like, republic people sneak in. Um, most are corrupt as shit. They get rich selling off the nation's natural resources to foreigners. You get this one cool moment where an old rebel leader abolishes slavery. Along the way, the U.S. invades and steals half the country. 1846 to 1847. This is like always one of my, I mean, I I know it's sort of a cliche, but the like the border crossed us thing is just very, very literally true. You know, a huge chunk of, well, all of Texas and all of the Southwest was part of Mexico. And before that, obviously, Mexico's also stolen land, but you know. And the reason that the US came and stole all this land was pretty much to expand the slave state, right? Um, They weren't allowed above a certain Line. I didn't write this into the script. You weren't allowed to have a slave state above a certain line in the US. And so they were like, all right, we'll take all this shit. But they didn't take really far south. I didn't know this part. The reason they didn't take all really far south, I like read all these quotes from them, is that they were like, well, we want land, but we don't want free black people and Mexican people in the United States. That sounds terrible to these that racist That is so fights.
2: American. Oh my God.
3: It really is. We're like, we could conquer all of Mexico, but... I don't know. We're just too racist for it. So, your personal hero, Santa Anna, was in charge in the 1850s for a (laughs) while. Um, I know fucking nothing about Santa Anna. Like, literally, this is the only mention of um, him in my script is that the revolutionaries don't like him.
2: Fun fact, um, there is, I'm not sure if you've seen the King of the Hill episode, but I can't remember which state has it. They had, like, Something from Santa Ana, like a part of his body or something, and Texas <laughs> keeps asking for it back, and they won't give it back. <laughs> there's a whole King of the Hill episode about it. And we talked about it in fourth grade Texas history, but I, I can't remember it for the life of me. Obviously, I care very much. my personal hero. Um, he also wore a lot of red in all the paintings, so okay. there's okay. your Santa Ana briefer
3: and you saw the shirts that say his bones belong in Texas.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, um, inside Texas
3: yes. um.
2: So there's the a main, lot of asterisks on the bones. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the main leader of this new batch of 1850s revolutionaries is a guy named Benito Juárez, who's an indigenous guy who found himself an orphan young. So he walked to the big city, I think this is Oaxaca City, and he became a lawyer for the downtrodden. He was the first indigenous lawyer in Mexico. So he starts off great and he ends up middling in terms of his legacy and stuff, right? Um but he he genuinely is working to improve things, right? Um, he goes on to become the governor of Oaxaca, and he's like, I hate Santa Ana. And it it works. He he takes charge. There's no more immunity for military and church people. Uh, they have to be held to the same law as everyone else. And by 1861, Mexico has democracy. One weird thing along the way is that there's all these well-intentioned laws. You know how liberals do well-intentioned laws, and then they have negative effects sometimes? That's
2: all liberals do, yeah.
3: Yes, So they passed this law that basically was like pretty much like kind of like only people can own land. Corporations can't have huge chunks of land. The church can't own huge chunks of land, which sounds great. Uh, The problem is that indigenous people held their lands in common. Um, And so this took all their land away or huge chunks of their land. It stripped.
2: Was that intentional? I don't
3: know. I think... You know, I don't really super hard want to conjecture. Um, I suspect that many of the people involved in doing it knew that that was going to happen and were happy for it. Um, I think a lot of it was like the liberalization, kind of like, well, if we make, you know, the um, like bringing indigenous people into the like capitalist culture as like progress kind of thing. Um, I know that a version of it happened in the 19th, in the early 20th century in the US, and I don't have this in my script at all, but the first. Indigenous man who was vice president of the United States in the 20s or 30s. I don't remember his name. I'm completely running off of old memory. Um, he did a very similar thing in the United States about uh, privatizing lands. had an lands indigenous and vice away. president? Yes. Oh, my God. We should look this up.
2: Charles Curtis. He was Herbert Hoover's um, vice president.
3: What years is that?
2: Uh. 1929 to 1933 okay bummer that he is um herbert hoover's vice president (laughs) and he's the only mixed race vice president in american history until the inauguration of kamala harris in 2021 was the first US VP to ever open the Olympic Games. Yes, Heidi, what's up? I thoroughly
4: <laughs> fucking hate this country. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Kat just read was so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, the only thing stuff. I'd ever read about him was this thing where he uh, sold off a lot of tribal lands in order to like privatize it and then like gave people some money instead of them having access to the means of production, like they.
2: Yeah, you know, he's three-eighths three Native American. I don't know math. I don't know how that works, but...
3: Yeah. So, so this happens in, in Mexico. Then, during all the chaos times, Napoleon III invades. They kick him out on the 5th of... Well, they have a big fight on the 5th of May, 1862, which is where Cinco de Mayo comes from. The guy who led that fight was named Diaz, um, Porfirio Diaz. Porfirio Diaz and he's going to be important in a minute he is fucking ruthless even if he's ostensibly liberal he's a little bit iron dragony. um he's a he's kind of a sophie is what i'm saying i now feel bad about this because this is literally the main antagonist of this week is porforio diaz but you know cool. just is what it is you're a oh, yeah. you're a baddie oh
4: sophie. my god thank you so much yeah you're <laughs> welcome <laughs> This is the first time this has ever happened to me. It's so cool.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So two folks in that battle wind up important later. One has the Spanish version of the best name ever, which is to say her name is Margarita. Margarita Magon. Great name. Yeah, I know, right? Margarita Magon and uh, Teodora Flores. And they meet and fall in love because they're fighting the French in hand-to-hand combat in the streets. Yeah, and they get together and have a bunch of kids who are the main subject of this week's story, but we'll get to them later. It takes Mexico until 1867 to drive out their would-be emperor and execute him. Uh, Mexico returns to being a republic. They start teaching science over religion in schools, this free school for all the kids. Like, you know, some progress is being made. Along the way, a new radical tendency shows up in Mexico. Socialism. And it's not just any socialism. Mexico gets anarchist socialism. It gets the, what if we had a horizontally organized society kind. And it shows up from a really interesting source, from my point of view. Somebody who likes to nerd out about this kind of shit. Which, hopefully, at least some of you all are. There's a Greek doctor. And his name is uh, Plotino Rodokinati. And he is born into the Greek aristocracy. But he's like, what if... I just run around throwing down in every revolution that Europe has to offer. So he does that. Oh yeah. And including the Hungarian War for Independence in 1848, which inspired a lot of revolutionaries at the time. Then, at least according to one of the sources I read, there's a couple different versions of how he got really interested in Mexico. He started reading about indigenous Mexican struggle, and specifically, he started reading about their autonomous villages and communal agricultural practices. And he was like, oh, this fucking rules around the time he had become a christian anarchist and he was like i'm gonna move to mexico because i want to know more about this shit and so in 1861 he moves to mexico he goes to mexico city and he starts doing two things first and foremost he's a doctor right so he just starts treating people for free and that's what he spends most of his time doing but he's also super educated because he's from the aristocracy. He speaks seven languages and he's like versed in philosophy and shit. So he, so he starts a free school and he's running it and he's teaching it. Soon the free school becomes a mutual aid society, which soon becomes a resistance movement. Uh, for a while, all of the people he teaches are like, Oh, this is great. Let's go get guns and fuck up the landowners. And he's like, wait, no, I'm kind of like a Christian pacifist anarchist. And they're like, yeah, but we're not. So fuck off. Um, and then later he kind of comes around actually to the more radical side of things or the more militant side of things. I love
4: when Magpie explains like some deep history like drama like it was a fight in middle school. <laughs> 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 and and like I understand it better. I'm like, yeah. That makes sense they were in front of their lockers it yeah. got it's like spicy. they showed this dictator in a locker. Yeah. yeah. Sprayed him in the face with Axe body spray. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Thank you, Magpie.
3: Yeah, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. He has a word Rage Against the Machine shirt on this entire time. It's actually kind of impressive.
4: (laughs) Absolutely.
3: (laughs) So this guy, uh, he spends about 25 years in Mexico teaching and healing. And then in 1886, I'm just going to like, because he's not going to be in the story the rest of the time, but he's an interesting enough guy. He just disappears from the historical record in 1886. Some say that he went back to Greece. Some say that he moved into the hills to become a farmer. No one knows. And the Christianity that he was into was a Christianity without dogma or institution. He refused both Protestant and Catholic affiliation. He also tried Mormonism, which is the first like cool Mormon I've ever had on this show.
4: We're really excited about this. Like a a week or two ago, Margaret was like, hey, and you know that I'm serious because I'm calling her Margaret. Um, (laughs) Margaret was like, guess what? And I was like, what? And Margaret was like, I think I found our first cool Mormon. I was like, no, you didn't. And Margaret was like, wait and see. And here we are. Go off. I want to hear about this cool Mormon. Tell us.
3: So he, he joins the church of Latter-day Saints uh, because the Protestants are too materialist and he can't be a Catholic because the Catholic church is like one of the primary institutions of domination and destruction in, in Mexico at the time. And so he he leads his his thing, and apparently he's kind of part of bringing Mormonism to Mexico. But he couldn't get the Church of Latter Day Saints to agree to his plan to overthrow the Mexican government to institute <laughs> a classless society built on mutual aid. So he left.
2: He has his priorities straight. I got I got to yeah. say that.
3: Yeah, he's like, "Will Mormons help me make anar uh, like decolonize Mexico into an like anarchist space?" And they're like, "No." And he's like, "All right, see ya." He himself didn't lead social struggle. Uh, the students that he taught did. Um, they fought alongside indigenous rebels, generally who collectively started both the agrarian land reform movement in a modern sense and the labor movement of Mexico. From 1867 to 1870, one of his students, Chavez Lopez or Lopez Chavez, newspapers wrote it both ways. Um, I guess that's what happens when you have two last names. Fifty other and fifty others, men and women, and. This is like the main thing that I keep running across. Uh, it's always one guy written down in history. And so I had to, I just want to shout out Louisa Cavada, who was written down as some guy's wife during all this struggle, even though she was as much a fucking part of it. She outlives these, uh, whatever, anyway. They
4: his wifed her?
3: Oh, yeah. They his wifed her. At least they gave her name, which is like lucky. Hmm. Huh. I'm not even going to give his name. He's. The story, the that out story Louisa. Yeah. yeah, this
4: story does not pass the Bechdel test. No,
3: no. (laughs) They go around and they terrorize the landed elite in the country after someone drained a lake and displaced 1,500 peasants. They go around and they expropriate the haciendas, which are basically the plantations. Um, And they're not just like looting, right? They're not just like, oh, we're going to take all this stuff, right? Because there's a lot of bandits in Mexico throughout all this time and who sometimes do cool things, sometimes do shitty things. But instead, they divvy up the land and give it back to everyone. So that everyone has an equal opportunity to grow food and live. This makes them popular. If you want to know a way to be popular, you find someone who has like 10 million acres and you take it from him with a sword and then give it to everyone.
2: Great strategy.
3: I know, I know. It's, um, a lot of folks who joined them did so specifically because they were like, oh, finally we can do things the old way again, right? And having communal land practices and all the stuff that they grew up with or their families grew up with. A slight majority of this crew, the like 50 plus people, get away in the end. Many see death by firing squad or die in battle. Um, Chavez gets executed. His last words are long live socialism. His death in 1868 didn't stop the rebellion because he wasn't in charge. Uh, It went on twice as long without him as it did with him. And three of the survivors of his band, including our girl Louisa, they go to Chiapas um, in southern Mexico, and they get involved in the indigenous uprisings there of 1869. Basically, they show up and give weapons trainings. And folks are like, and they give weapons trainings and they're like, all right, now what should we do? Whatever you decide to do, we're in it. Um, which was attack those who have stolen all the land for themselves and distribute it fairly again. So they go and do that. And it was this agrarian movement of combined anarchist-indigenous and anarchist-indigenous and anarchist struggle that influenced the later movement of Emiliano Zapata, who's a revolutionary war hero who will be part of another week's episode, but we can't, don't have time to get to him this week, and I'm sad. This was almost like a six-parter that I dragged you into and then realized I should not do that. I should divide it in a more natural way. And therefore, this struggle in Chiapas influenced Zapata and then influenced the Zapatistas who now control huge chunks of Chiapas in an autonomous way. So that's fucking cool. And you know what else is cool? Is increasing your sex appeal 32%. You know what's cooler, Magpie? (gasps) Having no
4: ads? Mm -hmm. Which automatically increases your sex appeal by like, I don't know, 252%. That's right.
3: People want to hand you the aux cord if you have Cool Zone Media on free, which you can have by. Do people still use aux cords? The Bluetooth? Um,
4: I would say it's. I would say it's both. Yeah. Okay. It's a both. Okay.
3: If you go to Cooler, if you just Google Cooler Zone Media, and you have an iPhone, you can get all of this without ads by subscribing. And if you have an Android, you can wait a little longer or harass Sophie online because. Sophie responds really well, and it certainly won't include you in the 300 that she will sacrifice on Good Friday.
4: Um, we're understanding why I have the nickname I have now. <laughs> mm-hmm. When
3: I think about executing 300 prisoners on Good Friday, how is that not just literally blood sacrifice to the God?
4: I mean, you're not wrong. Like it is, it is like a weird version of the Wicker Man, but in 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 mass. And reverse, because the Wicker Man killed a cop. <laughs> they did. They did. They <laughs> did. They did. I just saw that. In, I just saw the original in theaters. Where I went with Sarah Marshall. Oh, my God. And, and it, it, you, it rules. I they love like that a, movie. They like mm-hmm. a... They, they the annoy, Wicker Man. It's a man. car
3: from yeah. England about basically they're still being pagans in on yeah. an island in England.
4: They like anoint the it was amazing. They like anoint the cop by rubbing their blonde hair on him, and then they burn him alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like While singing I fe- like
3: my favorite medieval song.
4: They like like they were so ahead of their times. Of, of the, they're like you know what would be really cool? Let's burn a cop in a in wicker. And in 1972 or three or whenever it came out, people are like, "Whoa, that's really scary." And then they played in 2023, and people are like. <laughs> it's fucking based okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it it's it's supposed to be horror but it is the yeah. funniest movie i've seen in a very long time and they're and all just so like hippies unbelievably like horny and, yeah
3: um yeah anyway here's some horny ads
4: this is this has become a plug for 1973s the wicker man <laughs> <laughs>
0: Until now through May 14th. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, some 41, 30 seconds to Mars, oh,
1: and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus me
0: Features presents Back to Black.
1: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
1: Know like this. I ain't no spy scale.
0: Like never before. That's
1: my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen.
1: I want to be remembered. Just
0: be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under seventeen, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
1: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to five hundred anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people you can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. And we
3: are back. So the cities didn't want to be left out of all of this uh, burning cops alive. I mean, um, social struggle. (laughs) And... Social struggle has always looked different in cities and the countryside. So in the city, you get the start of the labor movement. In 1865, you get what's called the first strike in Mexican history. Uh, this isn't true except by a technicality. Every time, every book is always like the first, the biggest, the longest, like some super, superlative, and I always <laughs> Google it and it's never true. The But this one might be true by a technicality because there was a strike in New Spain 99 years earlier, among silver miners. But 1865, you get the start of the modern Mexican labor movement. And this was anarchists at two different textile plants, one of men, one of women, in Mexico City on June 10th, 1865. The government showed up with rifles and they shot people. And the strike was broken. So they all gave up. No, in 1868, the struggle moved to uh, Tlalnepantla de Baz which used to be more of its own city, but is now part of the greater Mexico City area. And you have four factories of anarchist textile workers, I believe all women, who go on strike. Before the strike, they worked 14-hour days in the summer, 12-hour days in the winter. They were allowed five minutes each day to eat. It's so funny because things are so bad right now, and so there's all of this like, rise of the modern labor movement. I'm really excited about it. And I still like, sometimes like, read all this stuff, and I'm like, I mean, we just shouldn't let things get this way, right? But it's like, that's not true. I know people who work 14-hour days and shit and just have to do fucking a million different jobs and like drive Uber Eats and shit. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, it's fucking bad. So they strike. They win. This is the first successful strike in Mexican history. Again, skeptical at first, but whatever. It fucking rules. After this, anarchist projects crop up everywhere. It's mostly put folks pushing for worker cooperatives. And the socialist groups, um, they let any worker in, and they even allow some employers, and you can only be in the socialist group if your employees vouch for you as, like, actually a decent boss, right? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's mostly these artisans, like some shoemaker who hires assistants or whatever, is like, hey, like, I want to be part of this too, and pe- just ask the assistants. And they're like, all right, well, are they cool? And people are like, yeah, they're cool. Um, so. So, the Iron Dragon, you can be in.
4: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, that should just be, like, normal. That's how that should be. Yeah. Like, if you're uncool, you don't get to be in the group.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, like, you know, these corporations that post stuff about, like, how they're so, you know, they're allies or whatever, and then they don't pay their workers living wage. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, how about you do that first? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll be like, hey, you're cool. And until then, you're not cool. Yeah. Exactly. You're just not. Your trans employees
3: want to eat food every day it turns out
2: that's crazy that's insane come on yeah that's too much
3: yeah um
4: wait i think you just called secretly just called me cool
3: oh no oh no (laughs) one day we're gonna do the sophie episode the episode about cool zone media where we won't say aloud who is the bad person on it (laughs) because it would break me as heart
4: but, oh, my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh, it's the last person I thought you were going to say, yeah, that's why it's funny it's, it's it's
3: true. <laughs> the red and black flag became the primary symbol of the Mexican labor movement at this point. Women's rights became central to their was central to their platform the entire time, which it fucking better have been because it was women who were the first ones throwing down. And then, of course, twentieth century labor historians didn't bother writing down their fucking names. So, I have a hard time writing them back into it.
2: Shout out to Louisa once again.
3: I know, I know. And once we get to the Magonistas, there's going to be a few more women by name, um, literally because the most recent and best book about the Maganistas is, um, uh, which I'll talk about in a bit. Actually, someone already did the work of writing all the women who were central to the story back into the fucking story. Um, the first two books I read about the Manganistas fucking didn't. Anyway, whatever. I'm not bitter. Wait yeah i am okay in the meantime our man porforio diaz the hero of cinco de maya he is not our man he is a fucking bastard not even a baddie as i have learned he's just a bastard he comes to power Wait,
2: let's let me see if he's a baddie how do you spell his name
3: oh porforio um okay so p-o-r-f-i-r-i-o okay cool
2: oh he is not a baddie you know he is definitely not a baddie he's a bastard yeah, no. Cat is confirmed. Cat is confirmed.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm double checking and I agree completely. <laughs> so he sucks. He runs on a like, I'm a cool liberal and I, I'm the guy from Cinco de Mayo. You should vote for me. And he runs on a no one should be president twice campaign. And that's like his whole thing. Uh, he loses a couple times. So he stages a coup and then wins. Um. Which is a way that people in the US have tried recently to um, win, but he becomes a dictator for more than three decades. He absolutely does not keep to his no one should be president twice thing. He just slowly extends the like, how long the president's allowed to be president basically. Um, it'll take a revolution to knock him out. He is sometimes called a constitutional dictator because technically he was just president, um, but he rigged every single election. He jailed and killed his opponents. His legislative branch didn't have any real power. He was, a, he was a fucking dictator. And you can totally tell the tone of what Mexican history thing you're listening to based on how they treat this guy. There's a lot of people who hand wave about like, well, he brought stability and prosperity. And then people are like, everyone starved to death under him. He literally just increased like the GDP, right? The actual wages for people went down under him. Everyone was poorer and more fucked. Then during the like decades of chaos, I don't really like him. Is what I'm trying to say.
2: Margaret, have you considered that maybe the rich people really benefited from that system? Huh. Oh, Did that's true. about that.
3: There were yeah. winners.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you can't be mad. You know, you gotta take some wins. Yeah, take some. Yeah, whatever the other one is.
3: I'm tired. And also, he was uh he was mestizo. He was he was not entirely white. Um, and although he hired a bunch of race scientists that he called his scientific council or whatever the fuck who claimed that Mexico needed the european race to rule it um and great stuff he removed limits on land ownership and seized even more fucking land from indigenous people uh, causing huge uprisings one of which i the the yaqui people i want to like I think that might be a totally separate thing. I thought about diving more and more into them, but then the more I dove down that rabbit hole, I was like, "This is its own fucking amazing story."
4: Does this does this fucker like die painfully? Like, what's happening?
3: Oh my god! I remember how the person who replaces him dies. Uh, I don't, off the top of my head, don't remember how he dies. I know he, which means it's probably,
4: which means exile. well, exile's
3: cool. Okay, wait, but... hold on. We're we're finding out, um, because He's this is the kind have... of thing that.
4: Yeah, exile. You're, you're talking about someone who truly fucking sucks, and I'm like, all right, where does the come up in? Yeah, that usually doesn't happen in history. No, I mean, it he says he, leaves that he by died exile. in
2: exile in France. Yeah, I want to see how he died. And, yeah, because um,
4: ex- being exiled and then you're in France, not that bad. Mainly to old age. is oh, what Study.com ooh, says so. Yeah. Oh. Damn it, magpie. I mean, exile, cool. Oh, officially,
2: this is from Britannica. Mm -hmm. Uh, Officially, he died of a heart attack.
4: Okay, um, though it was okay. speculated
2: he'd been murdered by prison guards or died of medical neglect. Yes, there it is, cool. baby. Wait, no, this ride. is a totally, this that's, is a different person. Yeah, Sorry,
4: that's just a He just, just read the end article. of the main God damn character it. of uh, <laughs> it's episode.
3: Oh, I got this. it. He
2: just hung out in Paris, probably
3: got like a stipend or something. Fuck this. Yeah.
4: Oh, I was excited. All yeah. right. All right. Fucking old age.
3: Yeah. Um. The so before Diaz it's called the Porfriato, Porfiriato, this period. He modernized Spain and offered its stability by killing everyone he didn't like. Um, When he first came to power, he ran as a liberal, right, originally. And so the moderate socialists supported him um, because he made vague promises about reform. He kept none of them. The anarchists, of course, didn't support him. They didn't support his opponents either. They supported not having a ruler. Fortunately, the split didn't last too long. After Diaz comes to power and he shows his true color, the socialists are back to being united. And... People, you know, they get together and they're like really excited about all this. And uh, um, but their actual actions, the socialist actual actions, both labor actions and the agrarian revolts, are met with brutal repression. From eighteen seventy eight to eighteen eighty four, there are several armed anarchist slash indigenous peasant uprisings. The ideological leaders are killed, and uh, the movements continue. The article I read refers to them as getting snuffed out. These uprisings. It's a combination of executions and exile. The strikes were put down by troops. Agrarian revolters were hunted down. Um, Leftists were killed often by what was called uh, Le Fuega or Fuga. Um, It's the fugitive law, which means you're allowed to kill anyone who's trying to escape, Uh, which means they're like, oh no, he's running away. Like literally as long as you shoot someone in the back, it's legal, Um, which is a pretty...
2: Wait, escape from Mexico?
3: No, like escape from captivity. Like if a Perfect cop passion. comes up to you and he's like, come with me, and you're like, I don't want to, then they can be like, ah, well, now I get to kill you. Right? Um, wow, that's so strange and only
2: happens in this one time.
3: I know, that's what's um, yeah. 10,000 people met their death to Le Fuga, uh, the only place that I get so angry about that. I hate whenever people are like, but he was running away, and you're like, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you just said? Like, why would that... Anyway, whatever. Okay. The left doesn't give up. Anarchist ideas wind up influencing a huge number of the later revolutionary leaders. Uh, many go on to advocate for states. Um, but, they, but even the revolutionary leaders who advocate for states, they end up more focused on regional autonomy and land reform as a result of all of this uh, socialism. And eventually, the, the left goes into decline under Diaz. Because open organizing is just too fucking dangerous. Everyone's just being murdered. There's all these wildcat strikes, particularly among textile workers who just fucking rule and just keep wanting to strike no matter what. Until we get to the main point of the story. Until we get to a grouchy and unpleasant man who put his entire life, body and soul, into the movement. He wound up being called the forefather of the Mexican Revolution, uh, even it wasn't anything like the revolution that he fought for. Until we get to the Maganistas. This would be where we make you wait till next week, but there's more because I, like I said,
4: there's a lot in this one. Let's get it.
3: Ricardo Flores Magon was born in Oaxaca on September 16th, 1873. His father was indigenous from the Zapotec people um, and his father had been a soldier but was cut off from his pension when the bureaucracy was like, oh, we like totally lost the records that you fought. You should um, bring those records. But, the dad lost his pension records as well as his first wife and his mother-in-law to a house fire. Um, his, Magan's father had a really fucking rough life. That's so sad. Yeah. So he, common-in-law marries um, Ricardo's mother who is mestizo, part indigenous, part Spanish, one white ancestor, but that's enough to like elevate you in the social weird hierarchy classes. His parents were common-in-law married. They never had a ceremony or anything official. Uh, I think because of not really wanting to have much to do with the Mexican state. And Ricardo grew up understanding that the indigenous forms of mutual aid where no one in his town was rich and no one in his town was poor was the way the world ought to work. He grew up in a town with no judges, no jails, and no cops. And he's basically like, obviously this. Diaz's appropriation of rural lands meant that capitalism was creeping ever closer to... What Ricardo saw as his anarchist, communist, indigenous upbringing. There was actually an uprising there. This is after he leaves, right? Like but right near the birth town where he like lived for a little while. That is interesting enough that I want to stick it in. The folks there were like, we don't like our priest. We like our local holy figure who is a teenage healer named uh, Teresa Area, the saint of Cabora." And so they're like, we don't want the Catholic church. Fuck off. We've got our saint." So they kick out the priest. The state burns down the village. Um, They kill 300 people. They just destroy this village for kicking out the church. The survivors flee to the US. I'm like, this is a cool story. It's interesting. Uh, The survivors flee to the US, including Teresa, who continued to organize against the Diaz regime, support union activity. She'd go around on like speaking tours, and then she'd give all of her money to the poor. She dies of friend of the Pod tuberculosis in 1906, and it took me, as I mentioned, the th- till the third book I read to read about the women related to any of this uprising. Um, and that book that I recommend to everyone is called Bad Mexicans by Kelly Lytle Hernandez. Uh, that is the book to read about Maganistas. Um, it's worth reading. Like, there's some other books that like collect the writings of a lot of these people, and that's like really cool too, like primary source stuff. But um, if you want to not be written out of history, Bad Mexicans is your book. The older Magon brother, his name's Jesus. He goes to jail for writing about what happened in that uprising. Along the way, before the burning of the town, their father dies because uh, he had a fucking hard life. And the mother moves them to Mexico City so that her children can get an education. Ricardo goes to law school, when he's 17, he's arrested for the first time alongside his brother, Jesus, for protesting against re-election, um, and he's set free because other protests, other protests get so hot and demand the release of prisoners, and so a lot of the prisoners get set free, which is a thing that's happened a lot in history, and I think that Americans should consider. His brother stays behind bars for a while longer. So Ricardo drops out of school. He drops out of law school, and he gets into newspapers. First, he edits for the El Democrata, which was shut down by Diaz. When the newspaper was raided after only three months of existing, Ricardo escaped by jumping out of a window. And then he becomes a wanderer. He's a rough six years. He works odd jobs. He has a job banana carrier and job ice vendor. Um, and he's sending money. It's back a through.
2: very old timey Mexican job.
3: Absolutely.
2: It's like the equivalent of like being in New York in 1912, and it's like button cleaner.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, where it secretly means that you go into the sewers and pull the buttons out of like human (laughs) group. Yep. And so he sends a bunch of money back to his mother. I believe different sources talk about this period of his life differently. He gets into the seedy side of life. He's drinking and gambling and fucking. Um, he is both befriending and hiring sex workers. I think unrelated to the two. Um, he does wind up with an STI that leaves him sterile during this period of his life. Um, And it's during this period of life that he like, it's funny because they're like, during this period of life, he sees how bad people have it. And I'm like, he grew up in a town that got burned down. Anyway, um, but he sees just how fucking bad. um, And maybe it's because he's from more of an indigenous background that like, where folks were able to take care of each other. And he sees how bad the fucking working class has it. So in 1899, he's like, all right, what about revolution? Revolution in newspapers. Let's fucking go. Also, I want to be a bohemian, wear all black, talk about politics in cafes, and read poetry. So he does what everyone does when they want to be a bohemian and they don't come from money. He moves in back with his mother because mm-hmm. Margaret's are always there for you and we won't let you down. <laughs> in 19. 19- What's his last name? Uh, Flores Magon.
2: We're doing a baddie test on this guy. His
3: brother's hotter. His brother Enrique is definitely hotter. Damn! Okay, if
2: he just like didn't have the mustache, I could totally see. Oh yeah, here's his his brother. His brother is definitely
4: hotter.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for I, I sure. Like that, but...
4: I like that magpie predetermined. Oh yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah. No, you you were totally right.
3: <laughs> I look up photos of the good guys. um
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, they they pass the body test, especially if you know you're dressing in all black, hanging out with your mom. Yeah. Um, hanging out with sex workers, you know. Yeah. All right. Body
3: approved. Yeah. Sorry, continue. No, I, yeah. So, um, he, yeah. In 1900, he and Jesus start a paper that changes the world. It's called Regeneración. Uh, and it was mostly originally a legal paper. It covers issues of the miscarriage of justice under Diaz because his brother's a lawyer. Uh, it's basically if the National Lawyers Guild started a newspaper that led to the overthrow of a dictator. In 19- 1901, people were like, What if we didn't have a right-wing dictator and called for a liberal party? Um, So they had a Congress, and when they called for the Congress, it's surrounded by angry army officers. More than 150 people, including Jesus and Ricardo, crossed the line of army officers to go openly participate in a seditious Congress. Ricardo is there to speak for a liberal student group and for his newspaper. Just to show how different the word liberal, like what liberal meant in 1901 Mexico to now The Liberal Congress started with a quote from the anarchist Max Stirner. The quote is, Tyrants appear great because we come to them on our knees. Let us rise. I feel like I didn't actually name this episode um, Liberals Ain't What They Used To Be, but that's the subtext. The guy who called for the conference was from a wealthy family, uh, but he read a lot of Marx and Bakunin, and then he blew all of his inherited wealth on revolution including running a book club and taking care of several destitute peasants who had a mind for theory and practice, uh, which is likely where Ricardo started reading about anarchism or these book clubs, which is, um, this is what you should do if you've inherited a bunch of wealth. You should pay proletarian organizers to live and spend their money on and tools for revolution and social change, whatever tools are appropriate in the context where you live. My favorite attendee of the conference was a, na- a woman named uh, Juana Belen Gutierrez de Mendoza. And she was indigenous. She's from the Coxken people. Her father had been a-, a landless rural blacksmith. She didn't know her birth date, but she got arrested all the time. So the state made one up for her, January 27th, 1875. She was arrested again and again, advocating for mine workers like her husband. And whenever she was arrested and asked to write down her name on the booking form, she wrote Sedition Rebellion. Um, Yeah. It's awesome. And then I'm also really excited because I'm very mad. I think people know this. I literally have the word sedition tattooed on my knuckles. And I got really mad about January 6th because of this. (laughs) Um, I'm like really fucking bitter.
2: They ruin everything fun. I know. know. It's just like, come
3: on, guys. I know. Uh then her husband died and she started an anarchist feminist paper called Vesper, uh, which told men they'd better step up lest the women run the revolution alone. There was like a whole thing in like nineteenth century feminist revolutionaries. A lot of it was basically being like, You fuck they would like play to the machismo of of um of the culture they're in and be like, You fucking cowards, we're doing it. What fuck's wrong with you. And I've seen this in a bunch of different countries. I really like it.
2: That's awesome. You don't want the women to run things, do you? <laughs> yeah, Get exactly. them to run the revolution with you. Yeah.
3: Um, later, she's going to join Emiliano Zapata's army and fight in the revolution and go to her grave in 1942, still fighting for land and liberty. Uh, she runs pe- papers for decades. She translates Bakunin, Kropokin, and Prudalin into Spanish. Um, yeah, so she's at this fucking Congress. Most of the delegates are trying to play it safe. Most of them are only critiquing the, the church or mine owners rather than Diaz directly because they don't want to be killed. Ricardo doesn't care. He's a fucking bohemian. He takes the stage. He's probably wearing like a big black baggy sweater because that was his style at the time. And he gets up there and he shouts, the administration of Porforio Diaz is a den of thieves. And everyone hisses at him because they're like, no, nah, you can't fucking say that. What the fuck? Oh, shit. You know? So he just yells it again and again. And the, finally, the third time he fucking yells it, people find their courage, and met his statement with applause. And it rarely, like like speak truth to power, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is like it's like one of these like watered down phrases. It's possible that in the single act, Ricardo Flores Magón forced the ostensible opposition to the dictator to admit to all the world that they weren't an ostensible opposition; they were actually an opposition. Um, he. Like, this kind of... it. Does, okay, the revolution doesn't start for 10 years. This is what makes everyone have to actually start working for it. Um, it's also, by shouting this to the rooftops, he basically sets it up that he's going to spend the majority of the 21 years left in front of him in prison as the result of 10 different convictions. Uh, I made up the number 10 because I don't remember. It's a bunch of fucking convictions. I just don't want to be give a specific and then... Okay, so Regeneracion becomes the main liberal newspaper and it calls for the Constitution to be respected and for Diaz to stop rigging the elections um, and it calls to support strikes and land reform. So it didn't take long for Ricardo and his brother Jesus to go back to jail. They were apparently the first newspaper, there we go with first, to openly criticize not just the actions of the government, but the legitimacy of the government. They're also finally covering all the stories of sexual violence that the state enacted. Um, and it was their, hey, this particular political boss guy is a fucking rapist story that got them thrown in prison. Several of the times that McGon and one at least one of his other brothers go to prison is specifically for calling out um sexual abuse and things like that uh from the Diaz regime. So they're in jail. Fortunately, they only got two of the brothers in jail. They have a third brother. So Enrique. He starts publishing the paper. Uh, Jesus and Ricardo write for it from jail. And while they're in, their mother dies. Um, Margarita's sons got her fierceness from her, as far as I can tell. The government had tried to convince her on her deathbed to convince her sons to give up their activism. Basically, they're like, she's like fucking dying. And the government's like, look, we'll set your sons free and they can be with you when you die if you tell them to just fucking stop, right? Her quote to them is, quote, Tell President Diaz that I choose to die without seeing my sons. And tell them this, I'd rather see my sons hang from a tree or a hanging post than for them to retract or repent.
2: That's awesome. Yeah,
3: she fucking goes hard.
2: What What about us? Yeah, that's awesome. From
3: street fighting the French um, to... Um,
2: a dying mother that's giving up seeing her children before... She's gone from this world yeah. because she knows how much
3: it means to her, to so many other people and to her sons. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This is, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but this is the revolution that the quote, it's better to die on your feet than live on your knees comes from. Um, and it just, it comes again and again. Uh, a few days later, her two older sons are sentenced to two years in, in Bellum prison and Bellum prison. This is where they actually already are, but they get convicted there. It's a cesspit of a prison in a very literal way. There's no plumbing. People shit in overflowing holes in the ground, and it's where they throw like the like people who have no like the the sick and the homeless and the drunks and and all of that stuff, right? Um, but their paper and the anarcho-feminist uh, paper Vesper, which has eight thousand subscribers and a bunch of journalists and poets, and has never fucking mentioned in any of the other fucking books, continues. And when the brothers get out, Jesus is like, you know what? I'm good. I had a fucking good run of it. I'm not turning my back on any of this. I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to marry my fiance of 11 years who's been fucking waiting. Um,
2: How long were they in jail for 11 years?
3: No, he, he goes to jail a lot. They've been engaged for 11 years. Um, that particular stint was like two years. Um, so, Yeah. Jesus never becomes a radical again. He stays a liberal and like literally a revolutionary um, and he ends up in uh, the government of the first, there's a lot of different governments that happened during the revolution. Um, and he ends up in the government post for a little while. Uh, he does offer his brothers legal help over the years, but they would get into screaming matches about how to get things done because his brothers later go anarchist and he stays liberal. Um, Enrique steps up and now uh, Ricardo and Enrique, they take over another paper since their paper shut down for the moment. So they get arrested again because that's what they do. They go back to Bell in prison. A lot of the other liberals are waiting for them, including that rich guy with all the cool anarchy books. His name is Arriaga. And Ariaga was offered to be freed if he would just stop funding the revolution. They're like, look, you're a rich guy. Just be a fucking richie. Like, it's fine. And he's like, I'm good. Fuck you. And stays in prison. They all get out in 1903, and they get right back to it. Uh, Oh, God. They they all go to jail so many fucking times that I can't keep track of which time. Anyway. Then they get arrested and let out again. Uh, This time, the government shuts down Vesper, too. And in this whole clique, Ricardo is the one who's remembered. He's not the strategician or the best writer or anything specific besides he is the... Well, he's the most stubborn. One of one of their friends said, quote, he was the prototype of the Apostle, and that he dazzled his comrades with his character of iron. Yeah. Sophie, you could be this guy. You could be the Iron Magon. Okay. All right. No, I think you're still the Iron Dragon. I'm sorry.
2: Iron Dragon. for Dragon sure, sounds yeah. cooler. Yeah. Dragon sounds way cooler. I'm sorry. Yeah.
3: The Iron Flower. Okay, anyway. Uh, so... Most people just think he's a stubborn fucking an asshole, frankly. Like, Magan does not make friends. He, he converts people into revolutionaries, but no one fucking likes him. Um, mm. But he hates cults of personality and authoritarian leadership. And he struggles his whole life with the fact that he wants to get his way in every argument and lead everything, but he also doesn't. Then the brothers get the best compliment any journalist can ever receive the mexico city court ratified later by the supreme court declared that it was illegal for any periodical in mexico to carry anything written by any of the flores Magón brothers
2: (laughs) oh that'll stop them for sure that's the way to stop a journalist
3: (laughs) could you imagine just if someone was like here's the Catabu law just the law where you...
2: yeah i'd be like oh fucking sick yeah. like let me violate this as many times yeah. as possible
3: your books will sell very well
2: they will sell so well like i i just can't imagine ever being like oh i want these people these journalists that are obviously very committed to stop writing something let's make a law against them specifically like that would never work in any any era of journalism yeah. ever yeah Unless you're a garbage journalist, and in that case, the law is not going to It wouldn't
3: have, do anything. Yeah, they wouldn't have needed the law for your garbage journalist, because yeah. they would have been like, <laughs> That's hey, awesome. do you want to die or do you want to write? And people would be like, I mean, do you want to die or stop writing? The garbage journalist would be like, I'm good, you know. Hell yeah, kill me, do it. Yeah. So, they don't want to get killed, and they want to keep writing, so they have to flee Mexico, which we'll talk about on Wednesday. Done done done. That was so cool. Mm but before we talk about that let's talk about you let's talk about how people can see you tell the journalisty thing I, you think i would know the verb for my own job
4: plug your pl- <laughs> plug your plugables that's it
2: uh, there you go there are now a billion social media platforms um so many <laughs> there are so many and i'm so tired uh my tiktok is Abu. Um, my blue sky is that too. My Twitter is Cat. Uh, my Instagram is kabagazale, which is also my threads account. Um, if you go on my Twitter, I have a pinned tweet that has all of it. I need to update my little link tree thing. Um, but pretty much you could just look up cataboo in the
4: site and you'll find it. Yay. Oh. Yay. Sophie. Uh, you can just follow at cool zone media. That would make me happy. Anderson is barking in the background so that doesn't make her happy no apparently
3: you shouldn't follow Sophie
4: you should follow okay Anderson what do you want she wants you to follow my Instagram so you can see photos of her oh okay is that why I'm Sophie? I'm gonna tell why? you how to find that you oh. can do that yourselves I can never remember Ooh, which I'm one's straight. your Twitter no and that's my are... tw- that's my Twitter oh I have my Twitter I post photos of her there too
3: I mean, it's like Google is the actual way that anyone's going to find anything. Yeah, Whenever, yeah. like, someone's going to type in Margaret Kiljoy Twitter, not actually go to at Magpie Killjoy, and that's fine.
4: That's um, fine.
3: But you should type in Margaret right. Kiljoy Substack, because now I write too is much it? again, and it's on Substack. Yeah. And half of it is free, and half of it is about my personal life, and so it's not free, because I see no reason uh-huh. why you should get to read that without giving me money to buy food. But. Agreed. We'll yeah. see you all on Wednesday. You park up money to buy food That's right.
4: and read about a personal life.
3: Yeah.
2: Win, well, cool.
4: Win. And we'll be back on Wednesday. Bye-bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock
0: styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee.